0: I want to take a moment to lead us in prayer as we prepare for the preaching and for the reading of God's Word. Father, this morning we have this, this wonderful opportunity to open up your Word, a Word which you teach us is living and active. And we come here because we, we believe that you have a Word to say to the churches, and we pray that you would give us the ears to hear and the hearts to receive your message by the power of your spirit. or would you bless the words that are said, words that are often spoken in weakness. We pray that you would use them by the power of your spirit to encourage, uh, to to exhort, and ultimately uh, to point each and every one of us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us in his name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open them up to the book of Joshua. I'm going to be preaching from a passage from the book of Joshua this morning, and if you're familiar with the book of Joshua, then you might know that it both begins and ends with a transition in leadership. It starts in chapter 1 with the death of Moses, and with Joshua being appointed as his successor, and it ends with the death of Joshua, and ultimately with the elders and the judges and those who were appointed to take over the leadership role. And what's really remarkable is that the lessons that Joshua will share with the elders and the judges and the leaders in chapter 23 are very, very similar to the lessons which God first taught him here in Joshua chapter 1. And so I want to read Joshua chapter 1, the verses 1 through 9. I want to encourage us to keep some of these parallels in mind also as we turn to our text. Joshua chapter 1, we read this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We'll now turn to chapter 23, which will be our text for today. Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies around about, that Joshua was old and advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes. From the Jordan, with all the nations that I have cut off, as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep And to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Lest you turn aside from it to the right or to the left. And lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you, Not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you. So the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So far, the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters, and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of the possessions, one of the the things that I hold dearest in this life, is a letter that my dad wrote to us, his children, uh, a few years before he died. If you ever visit me in my study, then you'll see that I have it posted beside my desk because I, I like to read it and reflect on it from time to time. Now when my dad wrote the letter, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't sick, he wasn't in poor health. He was simply one night reflecting on life. And he realized that that we as as his kids were now grown up, that we were beginning to raise families of our own. And as he looked back on his own life, and also on his own parenting, there were certain things, there were certain lessons that he wanted to share. There were things that he felt were really, really important, things that he wanted us to pursue. But he was also aware of the mistakes that he'd made. There were things that he wanted us to avoid. And in many ways, this is exactly kind of the picture that we get in our text today. Joshua knows that he's about to die, he knows that he is about to go the way of all the earth, as he says. But before he does, he gathers together the people of Israel, and specifically in chapter 23, there's an emphasis on gathering together the leaders of the people. Because as he reflects on his life, and also as his time as as a leader among the people of God, there are certain things, there are certain lessons that he wants to share. There are things that he knows are, are extremely important. Things that he, he wants these future leaders to pursue. There are also certain mistakes that he's seen made. There are things that he knows they must avoid. And, and while this text is in many ways geared towards those who, who serve in, in a leadership capacity among the people of God... I think it will be clear that there is application that is certainly relevant for all those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning I'd like to draw uh, just three, three lessons from our text, three things that we learn about the calling to leadership. First of all, faithful leaders must pursue God's purpose. Secondly, they must be cautious about complacency. And thirdly, they must hold out hope. Those will be the three points that we walk through in our text this morning, beginning with this one. Faithful leaders must pursue God's purpose. As we get into our text, uh, Joshua, as I mentioned, is preparing really to, uh, to hand over the, the leadership role. This is a, a point of transition. And so he begins in our text, you see in, in verse 2, he gathers together the, the heads, the judges, the officers, and he says to them, I am old advanced in age, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. I find this a very powerful moment. If any of you have ever been by the bedside of a loved one, as they are preparing to pass into glory, then you, then you know what this is like, these, these moments where last words are shared. And Joshua here he, he, he emphasizes a couple of things. He begins by, by actually pointing the attention of, of the people to the past. He reminds them of all, of all the amazing things that God has done. And you have to understand that, that these leaders would have seen God do remarkable things. As you read through the book of Joshua, you you read about how God parted the waters of the Jordan River. You you read about how God caused the walls of Jericho to fall down with nothing but the the shout and the sound of a trumpet. You you can read about how God causes the sun to stand still in the sky. And he gives them remarkable victories over their enemies. And so Joshua, Joshua begins by pointing their attention to the past. But he also wants to ensure that they continue to pursue God's purpose as they move into the future. And that's because the, the work is not yet complete. It's clear from our, from our text that there, are, that there are nations that still remain in the land, that there, that there is still land that needs to be conquered. And this was not a, a failure on the part of Israel. This was not a, a failure on the part of God. Instead, if you were to look back at, at Deuteronomy chapter 7 in verse 22, there God explains exactly how he plans to give them the land. And it's clear that his intention is to give them the land a, a little by, by, by a little as the nation grew and as the population grew. Then God wanted them to continue to expand and to continue to go forth, to conquer, to drive out the nations until the day when it was completely under the reign of God. So the Israelites, we could say, in this passage, they they are a group that are living in between the already and the not yet. What I mean is that the kingdom of God has already been established in the promised land. The people have a firm foothold in the land. And yet the victory is not yet entirely complete. And so Joshua, on the one hand, he does want to dwell and just to focus on the incredible things that God has done in the past. But he also is encouraging them as the leaders of God's people, to ensure that they continue to pursue God's purpose in the future. He says in verse 4, See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. Joshua is so confident in God's provision in the future, that he's already divided the land, even though it's currently occupied. And and you wonder, okay, well, Joshua, how can you be so confident about what God is going to do in the future? Well, it's because Joshua has learned incredible lessons in his life. He's been taught that the very same God who was with Moses was the very same God who would be with him. And that God would continue to go forward with his people in the future. He says in verse 5, And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and will drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. He knew that, he knew that the leaders were not going to go out in their own power but they would go forward in the strength that God would give. And as I reflected on on this passage, I was struck by the fact that the the final words that Joshua gives to his successors has a lot of parallels to the final words that Jesus gives to his disciples. In Matthew 28, Jesus is also, he's about to depart. He's not going to be with his disciples any longer. And so he gathers them together to speak to them. And these disciples also, remember, they have seen remarkable, remarkable things. Right? They, they have seen the lame walk. They've seen the, the, the blind see. They've seen lepers cleansed. They've seen the dead raised. They've seen the death and resurrection of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They've seen remarkable things. And yet Jesus doesn't just want them to dwell on the past, but he also encourages them to continue to pursue God's purpose in the future. Not by driving out nations, but by discipling the nations. He says to them in verse 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And these disciples must have been terrified at the prospect of having to go forward without Jesus. And so Jesus comforts them with these words and says, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus reminds them that that he didn't just come to dwell with them, but by the power of his Spirit, he would actually indwell them so that as they go forward to fulfill God's purpose in the world, that they're not going out in their own strength, but they too are going out in the strength that God has given. I think that's an important message for us to remember as the church today as well. Because just like the leaders of Israel, and, and even like the disciples, we too, we can say, are living in between the already and the not yet. We, we, we know that, that, that the kingdom of heaven has been established here on earth. And yet we have not seen it in, in its fullness. On the one hand, we can look back and we see the remarkable things that God has done. Right? We can look back at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At his victory over the power of sin and, and death and Satan. And yet, when we look around at this broken world, we we recognize that darkness has, has not been completely expelled from this world. We know that we have not yet experienced the fullness of the new heaven and the new earth. And that's not because God has failed. It's simply because of the fact that there's still work that he has to do. There there are still souls to be brought into his kingdom. There are hearts to be conquered by the power of Christ. And and as the church, as the new Israel, which Paul speaks of in Galatians, this is is the calling that God has given us to pursue. And so as faithful leaders, we must ensure that the church is is not just looking back and celebrating the, the great works of God in the past, but that we also are continuing to pursue actively God's purpose in this world. That's the first lesson in our text. The second is this, that faithful leaders must be cautious about complacency. And Joshua was aware that this would be a real temptation for the people. And the reason why is because war was hard. War was tremendously hard. I mean, it was one thing for the people to go to war when, when they first arrived at the Promised Land. After all, they'd just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They'd spent 40 years wandering in, 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 in a barren wasteland. You know, living in tents, nowhere else to go. When they first came to the promised land, they had no option, really, you could say, but to go forward and to go to war. But now the text is clear that a long time has passed. Now they have homes. They have cities to live in. They have cattle to raise, crops to grow. Joshua knew that, that now going forward, going to war would mean leaving all of those things behind, leaving behind the comforts of home and going back out and, and marching for miles and miles and sleeping in tents and having to engage in, in, in brutal physical warfare. And Joshua knew that as the years went by further and further, that the people would only get more and more comfortable. And the danger the danger that comes with being too comfortable is that complacency can often set in. And complacency will often lead to compromise. Joshua knew that the day would come when the Israelites would say, listen, those those nations around us, they're really not that bad. Right? They're, they're actually rather harmless. Like, can't we just can't we just all get along? Do we really have to go to war? Which is exactly why he urges them. In verse six, he urges them to be committed, to be faithful to doing what God says. He says, therefore be very courageous. Some translate that as be be very strong. It's a a word that speaks about devotion, about commitment. He says, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. He carries on, he says, lest you go among these nations, those who remain among you. You shall not make mention of, of the names of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them, you shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. Joshua shares with these future leaders the very same lesson that God shared with him back in chapter one, verse seven. He tells them to be committed to, com- to commit themselves to the book of the law of Moses. A book which spoke extensively about the worship of God and highlighted the exclusive nature of the worship of God. And again, Joshua knew that this would be a challenge for the people. And that's because the the worship of the Canaanites was very enticing. The Canaanites worshipped, for example, they worshipped fertility gods. And and their religious rituals involve things like temple prostitutes and sexual immorality. He, He knew that there would be a great draw, a real enticement among the people. And so he encourages them to be devoted to the word of God because he knew that if they become complacent about the word of God, you will eventually compromise the will of God. And so he calls the people in verse 8, he says, you shall hold fast to the Lord your God. That that word there is is a word that's also translated a little bit later as cling. And it's a great term because it's a term that actually describes marital faithfulness. It's the exact term that God uses in Genesis 2 verse 24 when you read, and a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united... Same word cling, hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And what Joshua is implying here is simply this. He's encouraging these faithful leaders to to unite themselves to God to ensure that nothing forms a wedge, that nothing nothing divides them, pulls them apart from their relationship with the Lord their God. And why should they do this? Well, his answer is verse 9 and 10. He says "Because, because no one... No one is like the Lord your God. He, he, he's the one who's, who's fought for you. He's the one who's driven out the nations. He's the one who's delivered you and redeemed you. One of you shall chafe a thousand before the Lord your God. He fights for you as he has promised. No one loves you like your God. And so, in response, he says, Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord. Your God. But then he adds a warning. And the warning is this, verse 12 and 13. Or else, if indeed you do go back and you cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua warns these leaders that complacency will often lead to compromise and compromise will have consequences. And you wonder, why is he warning them now? Why is he warning them in in, in this moment when when they clearly, even according to verse 8, when they are holding fast to the Lord their God? Well, it's because it's often in the highs of life that we are most susceptible to complacency. And I experienced something of this uh, about a month ago. I went with my son uh, about a month ago. We went to, to watch a Blue Jays game in Toronto. And uh, because it was kind of a last-minute idea, we decided to, to take the train rather to drive in like we, we typically do. So for one of the first times we, we took the train in and we went to watch the game, I, I won't bore you with the details other than to say, there, there was this dramatic victory in the end. The Blue Jays won in the bottom of the ninth. And so as everybody went back to Union Station in Toronto, there were just thousands who were just caught up in the victory. There was just this euphoria that went along. Right? Everybody was, was, there was chanting, and, and everybody gathered in Union Station. And so my son and I were just going along, enjoying the the, the whole momentum, everything that was happening. And as we were talking, a train rolled in, and so... If you've ever been in Union Station, there's just this mass exodus where you kind of follow everybody up along to the train. And we found, a, we found a seat. And as we sat, we began to talk and to kind of rehash the game, to go over the plays. And about a half hour in, I realized that I'd gotten on the wrong train. And we'd gone a half hour in completely the opposite direction. But we'd been, we'd been so caught up in the euphoria of it all, in the excitement of it all, that, that, that I wasn't even really looking at the signs. I wasn't even really listening to the announcements. And as we stood there all alone in the middle of the night in this train station in the middle of nowhere, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, is, isn't this the way that life works? Is, isn't it often when we just kind of get swept up in things and caught up in things and, and the highs and the joys, isn't it? Exactly then, that we are most susceptible to complacency. And this is exactly what you see in the life of Israel. In this moment, they, they had enjoyed a great victory, they'd had a great military campaign. Now they had homes, now, now they, were, they were raising cattle, they were growing crops, things were great. And we're told at the end of chapter 24 that the generation after Joshua was faithful. But it wasn't long before complacency set in. By the time that you get to Judges chapter 1, you discover that the people had began to marry with the nations around them. They began to deviate from the word of God, and they began to compromise on the will of God. I mean, they still saw themselves, please understand this, they still saw themselves as the people of God. They just felt that they could somehow kind of still accommodate and just incorporate the worship and the rituals of the culture around them. And little by little, they would drift further and further from God. And I think you could argue that we see something of that happening in our age as well. Some of you here this morning, and I say this with respect, some of you may fall into the category of being advanced in age. And maybe you remember a time where this country was, was really kind of, you could say, built on on Christian principles, on Christian values. Maybe you, maybe you even remember a time where, where schools would actually begin the day by things like reciting the Lord's Prayer. Maybe, maybe you remember times where, 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 where going to church and churches being full was actually just kind of the norm. Or you remember a time where, where, where politicians would openly identify just as, as Christians. They were unashamed about about who they were. We we remember a time, even not that long ago, where the sanctity of life from conception to the grave, where that was honored and understood. Where things like marriage as being a God-given institution between a man and a woman, where, where, where that was adhered to. And then you look back just even to the past month, where as a country, you know, we celebrate Pride Month. An event which which is largely geared around the celebration of sexual immorality without any parameters. And and maybe some of you just look back and you wonder, how, how did we get here? Well, perhaps the answer is that we have not adhered to the warnings of Joshua 23. Perhaps we have become too comfortable living in between the already and the not yet. And perhaps that has led us to complacency about the call of Christ to go out and to, to make disciples of all nations. And you wonder why might we be complacent? Well, it's because it's not just physical warfare that is hard. Spiritual warfare It's hard. It's hard to go out and to engage in the task of making disciples. It's hard to go out and to engage with those who, who have a vastly different worldview than you do. It involves sacrifice. It involves giving up comfort. It involves giving up time and energy and resources and finances. It involves taking the time to dig deeply into the truth of God's word, to meditate on it, to pray over it so that you might be able to give an answer for the hope that you have. And so often, instead of the the, the sacrifice, it just seems easier to accommodate. And we see much of that in Christianity in the West. Where, where Where we have those who still want to see themselves as the people of God, and yet, They want to embrace and to kind of incorporate the practices and even the idols of the broader culture around us. And and this passage is saying that's simply not possible. The warning of this passage is is this. Either we are out engaged in the calling of discipling the world, or the world will be engaged in the practice of discipling us. And so as faithful leaders, we, we must be cautious about complacency. And finally, as faithful leaders, we must hold out hope. And that's where Joshua goes as he, as he begins to wrap up this chapter. But I want you to notice where that hope is found. He doesn't draw people's attention to himself. Or who he is. But he says you can have hope because of who God is. Look at verse 14. Behold this day I am going the way of all the earth. Joshua like I'm not going to be with you anymore. But things are going to be okay. And here's why. Because you know in all your hearts and in all your souls. That not one thing has failed. Of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them. Has failed. Joshua makes clear that the reason the people of God can have hope is not because of the faithfulness of the leaders, but because of the faithfulness of their God. We have a God who does what he says, a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And, and that is not simply true, I should add because the text is clear on this, that is not simply true when it comes to the promises of God. It is also true when it comes to the curses of the covenant, when it comes to the consequences of compromise. That's why I, I, I could say if, you, if we ended this text simply at the end of chapter 23, you would find yourself in a fairly hopeless situation, wouldn't you? Because the, the truth is that Moses wasn't always a faithful leader. And Joshua wasn't always a faithful leader. And those who followed him were not always faithful leaders. Which is why if you follow the trajectory of the nation of Israel, you see them eventually just drifting further and further and further from God until one day they're in exile. Every human leader fails. Which is why God has sent us one who would not. That's why as we gather here this morning, our hope, our hope is bound up in Jesus Christ. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, Paul says, All God's promises are yes and amen in him. Right? Jesus came to bear the curse of God, which we deserve, so that we might enjoy the blessing of God, which we do not. That that is the glorious Simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the devil made every effort to derail that. Or if you look at Matthew 4, you see, you see the devil doing exactly these things. What does he do with Jesus? Well, he tries to lure him with complacency. Right? He tries to entice Jesus by saying, Hey, Jesus, you can have the kingdom without the cross. I've got an easier way for you. He tries to entice him with things like compromise. He says, Jesus, like, all you have to do, all you have to do is bow down and worship, and all of this can be yours. And yet, Jesus refuses to compromise because his desire is to to take the place of people like us who so often do. Jesus' desire, his heart, is to be faithful. Why? So that he can take the place of a people like us who so often are not. That's why the hope of the gospel is bound up in him. And maybe you have, maybe you have trouble believing that this morning. Maybe you struggle to find hope because when you, when you look at your life, you see a lot of complacency. Maybe you look at your life and you see compromise. Compromise. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and you might not say it, but the truth is that you feel like you've actually drifted a long way from God. Maybe you feel a bit like like my son and I felt that night, where, where you wake up, and you're all of a sudden like, you realize you've gone in, in completely the wrong direction, and you actually have no idea how you're going to fix it. Well, on that evening, as we stood there entirely alone on the platform, with a cell phone that was out of battery power. We had no idea what to do, so we, we walked into the train station, and we looked up the screen, and lo and behold, there was, there was just that one line that said that there was a train still coming, going the, a- the opposite direction. I just remember the relief, just the tremendous relief, the joy, that, that we suddenly had hope that even though I'd royally messed up, that eventually we we would make it home. But that is also the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that God has made a way to make things right. God has made a way to actually draw himself or draw us to himself. The glory of the gospel is that God has made a way to bring us home. And he's made that possible in Jesus Christ. And so if you're looking for hope, don't don't look ultimately to the church. If you're looking for for hope, don't look ultimately to your elders. Don't look to your deacons. Don't look to your next pastor. Because the fact is that, that your leaders will not always pursue God's purpose fact is that your leaders will sometimes be complacent and your leaders won't always hold out hope the way that they should which is why they need Jesus just as much as you do let me close this morning with these words from Hebrews 10 verse 23 where we are exhorted with these words let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who has promised is faithful Amen.